The following message is by Dr. Derek Brown, pastor and elder at Creekside Bible Church, located in Cupertino, California. And as you're taking a seat, if you have a Bible with you, go ahead and turn it to 1 Kings chapter 8. That's where we're going to be looking. And you might be wondering, 1 Kings 8, what does that have to do with Christmas? Well, hopefully we'll be able to see that how unique and fitting it is to actually look at this text in depth today for Christmas. It is Christmas time, and uh, we do celebrate Christmas time with the traditional texts like Isaiah 9-6, a son is given to us, the birth narrative, things like that. All fitting, all wonderful, and we'll do that in a moment. But I want us to look at 1 Kings 8 because I think it uniquely prepares us for Christmas. What's the setting of 1 Kings 8? Well, Elder Peter has already explained it a little bit to us by reading that passage, the few paragraphs before it. What's the setting? Well, Solomon has just dedicated the temple. And he is just, or he's currently dedicating it. He's just had the temple built, and he's currently dedicating it. It's a remarkable project, a massive project, a very costly project. It took seven years to build this temple. And the reason it was so significant is because now God has placed himself squarely in Israel. If there was any tangible sign that God now dwells in a country or a nation and has shown his favor to a particular nation, you'd be hard-pressed to find a more tangible sign than building your temple in Israel. It was his permanent place of residence, you might say. And now Solomon is overjoyed. It's taken seven years. It's been very costly. It's made of fine wood. It's made of gold. It's made of precious stones. And it's now complete. And he's standing before the altar And he's standing before the people, and he's now dedicating this great structure to the Lord, consecrating it to him, and he is pleased. This is a wonderful, glorious day, and he is reminding us, and you see this in verse 12, that the Lord was going to plant himself here permanently, at least from Solomon's perspective it was permanent, 1 Kings 8, 12 through 13. Then Solomon said, The Lord has said that he would dwell in the thick darkness. I have indeed built you an exalted house, a place for you to dwell in forever. So this is God's permanent place of residence. And uh, Solomon is overjoyed. You can just look at the verses in 22 through uh, 26 that Peter read. This is Solomon just overjoyed at the Lord's goodness. O Lord, O God, uh, God of heaven, there's no God like you in heaven or on earth, keeping covenant And showing steadfast love to your servants who walk before you with all their heart. He is just overjoyed at what God has done in Israel. He knows Israel's history. And he has seen Israel come now to a place of enjoying God's presence in this real tangible way. But there's there's a problem. And it, it, it comes up in the text. Amazingly enough, Solomon himself introduces a problem. What's the problem? He's overjoyed. The temple's built. God is in Israel. He even says he's in Israel and put his name here forever. What's the problem? What could possibly be wrong with this situation? It sounds pretty sweet. We're at the, the height of, we're at the peak of redemptive histories, at least as far as Israel's concerned. Look at verse 27. It said, but will God indeed dwell on the earth? That's the problem. Will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you. How much less this house that I have built. Solomon recognizes that there is total inadequacy with what he has just built. 
it's glorious, it's massive, it's, it's, it was very expensive, and yet there's a huge problem. He knows that despite the physical beauty of this temple, despite the size of this temple, it cannot begin to serve as a dwelling place for God. The problem here is God's infinity. When Solomon says the highest heavens, the heavens and the highest heavens cannot contain you, what he is saying is that this infinite being cannot be contained in some building here in Israel. How much less this house that I have built can, if you can't exist in the heavens, in the highest heavens, if the universe can't contain you, and we know with Hubble technology that this universe is nearly infinite, at least as far as we can tell, just if the heavens and the highest heavens is, and Solomon even have that technology, but he's looking up in the skies and he's recognizing it, it is a massive universe. If that can't contain you, then how is this temple supposed to contain you? I mean, get real, come on. Will God indeed dwell on the earth? That's the problem that Solomon is recognizing here. Will God indeed dwell on the earth? Even though God has come down in a representative way, you see that in verse 11, where he filled the temple with a glory cloud. Even though he has filled the house of the Lord in this representative way, there is inadequacy here, inadequacy in the temple. In fact, one of the main themes of the Old Testament is inadequacy. Just write that word down. If you ever want to know what one of the main themes of the Old Testament is, it's inadequacy. How about that for a book? Inadequacy, a theology of the Old Testament. Sounds like a good book title. It's actually very fitting. Because not only do you have an inadequate temple to house God, you have an inadequate Levitical priesthood, you have inadequate Israelite and Judean kings. You have an inadequate sacrificial system to actually atone for sin, as we learn in the book of Hebrews. The blood of bulls and goats can't atone for sin. We see in this very text the inadequacy of the entire Old Testament religious system. And that might sound a little irreligious. You might actually, that might sound a little irreverent. How could it be inadequate? It's, it's God's covenant. He designed it. He made it. Well, Solomon is, is recognizing that there's a problem. He is demonstrating that there's a problem because even now in this dedication of the temple, he will, it say, he will conduct an offering of 22,000 oxen and 120,000 sheep. Demonstrating through a massive blood vast. Now, I, I, I read that and we don't even know what that it's like. I mean, that, this is a massive amount of bloodshed. But this bloodshed is required, why? Because of this in, the inherent inadequacy of this system. You must continue to slaughter these animals. And so the temple's inadequate, the sacrificial system's inadequate, and now he's even said in the text that Peter read that the continuation of David's throne will only be continued if these subsequent kings follow after the Lord and obey him. And even in Solomon himself, we, if you would look back in chapter 3, just earlier in this narrative, Solomon himself has already aligned himself with Egypt, disobeying a clear commandment from the Lord from Deuteronomy 7. He took 13 years to build his house, 7 years to build the Lord's house. So we already see in Solomon that he is an inadequate king, that he will eventually fall. We're getting set up for that in the narrative. He will eventually fall. So we have an inadequate temple, we have an inadequate king, we have an inadequate sacrificial system. So the problem that Solomon poses here in uh, 1 Kings 8.27 about God dwelling on the earth, it's a massive problem because if God can't come down and dwell with his people in a vital, intimate way, then they're, they'll remain in a perpetual state of insufficiency their whole life long. So 
we've got a problem. Houston, we have a problem, so to speak. Now, what's interesting is that the, the Old Testament authors pick up on this theme of inadequacy, and what they do is they bring us to a point where we are going to see all these various strands and threads. See, part of the problem in the Old Testament system is that everything is separate. You have a priest over here, you have a high priest over here, you have a king over here, you have a temple over here, and you have a sacrificial system over here. It's all piecemeal. It's all separate. Now, there was, of course, intentionality to it. God had put it together for the sake of um, Israel's fellowship with them. But inherently built in, there was inadequacy. And that was in order to prepare us for this one who would come and bring everything together. In the the Old Testament authors pick up on this. Let's turn to Isaiah. You looked at this text uh, a, a little bit ago. First, in Isaiah 9-6, we'll go there first. Isaiah is going to bring these separate strands of redemption together into one person. Notice this. For to us a child is born, and to us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his, he shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throat of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. What's remarkable about this text is that Isaiah is saying that both God and man is coming together. We have the Israelite king that we need, and we have God who needs to come down in a a real way. He's going to come down to Israel through this child who is born. He's not only a child, he's not only a son, but he is called mighty God. So this son will come to repair the inadequacy of Israel's kings. He will be God himself. And notice that there will be peace forever. Solomon's name was, it meant peace. And there was peace along Israel's borders for a short time, but it was only a temporary peace. This prince of peace will establish peace forever, won't he? Why? Because he's God himself. He is the prince of peace. God had promised in Leviticus 26 that he would dwell with his people, and here we have the beginnings of that fulfilling of that promise here in Isaiah, bringing together both God, who must come down to save his people, and man, this Davidic king, who will now establish a forever peace for his people. So will God indeed dwell on the earth? Yes. And we're not even out of the Old Testament. But let's turn over quickly to Isaiah 53, because here's something we need to recognize during Christmas time. It's a warm-hearted time. It's a sweet time because we're remembering the incarnation and the wonder that God came down and was a baby. The Son of God, a child, a baby, a newborn, an infant. Incarnation, true God and true man. But let's be clear about something. We don't just want incarnation. There are plenty of people, even, they would even call themselves evangelicals, who are happy to celebrate the incarnation, who are happy to defend the Chalcedonian Creed that says that God, Jesus is both fully God and fully man, and the Nicene Creed that defends the deity and humanity of Christ, who are unwilling to say that Jesus provided full sacrificial atonement in your place, bearing wrath for you. 
So we don't just want incarnation. We want atonement at Christmas too. And just like Isaiah is bringing God and man together and God and king together in Isaiah 9, he's now going to bring the sacrificial system together and, and end it. He's going to fulfill it here in this one person, this servant in verse 5. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And by his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray and we have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. What we have here in this servant is substitution. He was crushed for our iniquities. Who should be crushed for my iniquities? I should be. Who should be crushed for your iniquities? You should be. We should all be crushed under the eternal weight of God, and yet he was. The servant was. Once and for all, it's no more a lamb. It's now a man who is going to bear the punishment that God's people so richly deserve. He's going to willingly give himself to cover all the sins of God's people, past, present, and future. So we see in this person, this child who becomes, or this, this son of God who becomes a, a man who is born as an infant, as a child, we see coming together in him all that Israel would need. A repairing of the inadequacy of Israel's sacrificial system, the inadequacy of her kings, the inadequacy of her temple. Jesus even said that he was the temple. He would be the faithful king in Israel. He would obey fully at every point. In him, God truly dwelt and would stand before people and look them in the eye. He would give himself for full atonement, ending the sacrificial system, fulfilling it completely so that you would no longer need to go to the temple over and over and over and slaughter thousands of animals to atone for your sin. Rather, you look to Jesus and you are saved. All of your sins covered. That is what Christmas is all about. So let's turn to John and close up here. John chapter 1. Because John is answering Solomon. John is answering Solomon. We would not be, it would not be complete if we didn't go to the, the New Testament. John is going to say to Solomon, Solomon, you're wondering about God truly dwelling on the earth. First, let's get this straight. What God are you talking about? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him not, was any, not, uh, not anything was made that was made. Solomon, is this the God that you are talking about, the infinite, eternal creator? And Solomon would say, yes, that's the God I'm talking about. Will he indeed dwell on the earth? Can that happen? I built this temple. I don't know, how much, I don't know what else you could do. I built this amazing temple. What else could you do? Will God indeed dwell on the earth? And John answers, I've got this, Solomon. Check this out. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as the only son of the Father, full of grace and truth. So John's answer to Solomon, will God indeed dwell on the earth? The answer is a resounding yes. But he won't just be God incarnate. He will be God incarnate who brings with him full pardon for your sins. He comes wrapped in his kingly robes of the gospel. His name was Jesus because he would save his people from their sins. 
his identity as savior, as atoner, was part of his identity even before he was born. So will God indeed dwell on the earth? Yes, yes, yes. He will come in a genuine human nature, be born of a virgin in a dirty animal stall in Bethlehem. A little over 2,000 years ago, he'll grow up into be a man, and at about 30 years, he'll be nailed to a cross for sins that were not his own. His dying words would be, it is finished. And in, those, in that death, he covers all of your sins, past, present, and future. You don't believe on Christ and then have to work off some of your future sins because he forgave your past sins. No, the moment you believe on Christ, you are justified. You are declared righteous. All sins are forgiven. That's what we celebrate at Christmas. And Jesus rose again from the dead, and he comes again someday as we anticipate him coming in glory. There may be some of you listening in online. There may be some of you even here today who are not thrilled at these truths. Maybe these truths don't resonate with you. Maybe you are stuck in the skepticism about the possibility of God really dwelling on the earth. But there is so much spiritual barrenness that we will experience if we accept only what our reason initially tells us what is possible, rather than seeking to believe what is true. Is it true that God himself became man and dwelt on this earth? Yes. Is it true that he is both fully God and fully man? Yes. Is it true that he died on a cross in order to provide us full forgiveness for our sin by faith alone? Yes. Is it true that he rose again from the dead? Yes. Is it true that he now calls to you to be reconciled to God this very moment by simply looking to him and the sufficiency of his work on the cross? The answer is yes. Is he preparing a new heavens and a new earth for all who believe in him where only righteousness will dwell? Yes. So this Christmas, that Son of God, that Jesus, that God incarnate calls to you to come to him and be forgiven. And if you know him today, then, then come anew to him and worship him with holy reverence and joy and love as we go seeing these last few songs. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, will God indeed dwell on the earth? Yes, you sent your Son, fully God fully man, but not just to be God incarnate, but to come with full atonement, to satisfy our souls, we need forgiveness, that is why Jesus is the bread of life, that's why Jesus is the light of the world, he shines upon our darkness, we are in need, we need grace, we need forgiveness, we need you to do it all. And so we thank you for the Lord Jesus, we thank you for Christmas, we thank you that Solomon's question is answered in the Lord Jesus. And we thank you for him. Pray that you bless the rest of our evenings in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more information about Creekside Bible Church, please visit our website at creeksidebiblechurch.com.